To all our listeners, welcome. Really excited to have you join us again for what will be another incredible episode. And if you're a first-time listener, welcome. I hope you get a lot of value out of this podcast. And if you really like it, please don't forget to give us a rating on your favorite podcast player. And come back again because we are producing content each and every week to help sellers be the very best they can be. Before we get into today's episode, and I'm really excited to talk about today's episode, today's guest, Todd Capone, who is the author of The Transparency Sale and The Sales Historian. And we're going to talk about why transparency matters. But before we get into today's episode, just want to let you know about the Sales IQ community that is growing. And in the show notes, there is a link for you to access the Sales IQ community where there's a lot of free content designed to help sellers be the very best they can be. We run a range of events that are aimed at helping sellers build the capability across every element of the sales process. So we've had the incredible Jen Allen from the Challenger Sale, Andy Paul, we've got Todd Capone coming up, we have Ravi Rajani on on storytelling. There's a whole range of incredible speakers coming we have an incredible event schedule coming up and there is just a lot of content that is made available to you and what's what's awesome about the whole community is there are other like-minded people just like you who are out there looking to take their skills to another level so please click the link join there's no cost to you the the actual community is that there's a portion of the community that's always going to be free so jump in there, say hello, and we would love to engage with you in our, in our Sales IQ community. This podcast is brought to you by the Create Pipeline program from Sales IQ Global. This program will equip you with the skills, tools, and confidence to run an outbound strategy so you can generate more qualified opportunities and close more deals. Hear what Alice from DocuSign has been able to achieve since joining the program and our incredible community. So my name's Ellis and um, I work at DocuSign as an EBR. And the, the reason I started Sales IQ was because I really needed that that guidance and that training to make sure that the outreach that I was doing was hitting the nail on the head. So I was lucky enough to, to start the program um, early on in, in this role. And since then, I've been pretty successful. And last quarter, I finished on 185%. So I've, I've seen some huge results by adopting the principles. Our next cohort is starting soon. So to learn more, go to www.salesiqglobal.com. Or if you have a team of sellers, talk to us about our in-house offering. Control your pipeline, control your destiny with Sales IQ. So let's get into this week's episode. This week, as I said, we've got Todd Capone. And why am I really excited about this week's episode? Because Todd comes with years of experience working in in sales, but senior leadership roles as well. And he's looked at things a little bit differently. And what I love about Todd and his concept that he's going to talk to us about today is all about being transparent and why transparency matters when it comes to the sales process. Now, there are many reports that are suggesting the trust gap between buyers and sellers is really, really wide, right? So a number of buyers just don't trust sellers. And the reality is there is a whole range of people out there doing certain things, tactics that are creating those barriers. So this is why transparency matters today more than ever before. And we're going to talk a bit about how you can bring that transparency mindset to your sales process so that you can deliver more value, you can deepen the relationships with your prospects and clients, and ultimately, it'll help you build a sustainable book of business. Can't wait to get into this episode with Todd Capone. 
Welcome to the show, Todd. So good to finally meet you, and I'm excited to be on. Yeah, I'm pretty pumped, mate. I mean, I'm pretty pumped for a few reasons. I think, you know, the transparency sale, the book, the concepts, the fact that today I think it's more important ever before to be transparent in order to build, you know, deep relationships in a world where it's been a very difficult world to build relationships in that virtual world. I think the transparency sale is such an important concept, so I can't wait to dive into that. But also, the nerd side of me, Todd, you share incredible content when it comes to the history of sales. And I'm kind of like, I really nerd out with it because I think the concepts that you share, you look at them, you're like, man, it's kind of the same today, but they've been doing it for such a long time, right? So I can't wait to talk a bit about the concepts that you share from a historian perspective. But before we dive into the transparency sale and and the, and the sales historian part of, of what you share, we'd love to learn a bit more about you and how you started in the world of sales. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I, uh, you know, it was funny. Like I always thought that I had a voice for radio <laughs> and probably a face for radio too, but when I went to college, like I was going to get into telecommunications, right? I was going to be on the radio. And within about six months, I realized that's not going to happen. And I, it was kind of like the default that my dad was always in sales. I should just do that, right? And so I ended up finding a job with the local university newspaper. Uh, I went to Indiana University here in the U.S. in, in Bloomington, I got a job selling ads for the Indiana Daily Student, which was the newspaper. Yep. And an incredible experience. I loved it. I loved the independence. I loved the like kind of, uh, you know, depend on myself type of thing. And man, the rest is history. But it, it started there and coming out of college, went right into sales and been doing it ever since. Well, so you didn't go, you know, go to school one day and, and say, when I'm older, I'm going to be in sales, right? Right. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't grow up going into it. And it was still a time where there was two things, you know, number one is, you know, even uh, my wife and I've been married for 13 years. And I remember when I first met her sister. So actually it might've even been before that where my wife was like, Hey, I'm dating this guy. And uh, her sister said, what does he do? And she's like, Oh, he's in sales. And her response was gross. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, that was, that was the way it, it always was. Yeah. And so growing up in high school, you didn't think, gosh, sales is going to be a respected and admired profession and everybody will be envious of me. Like, no. And then the, you couple that with the fact that back then, you know, sales was not like a curriculum mm -hmm. in college either. You couldn't focus on it. You couldn't major in it. Yeah. Things have changed and we could talk a little bit about the history of that, but yeah, I, it was rare to find anybody who would go to school thinking yeah. that sales was the way that they were going to go. Yeah, and I think, you know, like when, when you think of, when you you know, movies over time, some of these great movies, right, but they do depict a very negative, you know, the negative attributes of, a, of what a, a salesperson is. And you'd think that it's 2022 with all the work that's gone into building the sales profession, elevating its capability, you'd think that sellers would or buyers would trust sellers more today than, you know, in, in past years. But I was reading a recent report that was saying, you know, something along the lines of about 80% of, of, of buyers don't trust sellers. They don't trust the, the social media ads that they see. They don't trust PR campaigns, right? Why is it that, 
with all the work that's gone into elevating our profession, there is still a massive gap when it comes to trust, in your opinion. Well, I think there's a bunch of things. And being the sales history nerd, I can inject some of that too. But let's go back for a minute. So 1916, so 106 years ago, there was a conference that was taking place in Detroit. It was the first of its kind. It was called the World Sales Congress. And it was attended by 3,000 people you know, dignitaries and salespeople, right? Like coming together in Detroit, Michigan for this conference. Now, here's the amazing thing. The keynote speaker. So imagine a conference today where the keynote speaker is the then president of the United States. Like that, that's crazy, right? Like, yeah. like how would that happen? Well, back then, 1916, sales was a trusted and respected profession. It was, it was actually admired. Yeah. And salespeople were viewed as the key cog between an economy that grows and America becoming a world power and not. And what that meant was the message was salespeople bringing the right solutions to the right people, the right time at the right price would elevate those companies. Those companies would grow, the economy would grow, the economy would grow, get Mm -hmm. reinvested. And we as salespeople doing right by customers, we all win, right? And so over time, that started to erode. Now, I'll give you one of my perspectives. There's reasons why that happened. But one of them was what you just talked about was technology. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, we look at today where we as a profession are filling every remaining crevice of the sales profession with technology, right? Yeah. You look at those charts and there's logos all over it. (laughs) Well, I would argue that the biggest evolution, the biggest game changer in the history of sales tech happened in 1876 when Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone, right? Or at least got credit for it. The telephone, like this amazing tool, we don't really start to see telephone selling injecting itself into the profession until the 1910s, 1920s. But salespeople ruined it, right? Like they, they, they ruined it to the point where they started using it to harass people and interrupt them and and force things on them to the point where technologies had to create, had to be created to prevent salespeople from selling, yeah. like caller ID. And the government had to get involved with like the do not call registry, which here in the US, Alexander Graham Bell would be rolling over in his grave <laughs> if he knew that there's 221 million phone numbers on the do not call registry today. Like 221 million people that don't want to be called by salespeople, right? Yeah. We did the same thing with email. We started to do the same thing with LinkedIn. Like yeah. my LinkedIn is kind of a mess. I worry about video, like all of these technologies. And, and here's the point. We as a profession lost our face mm. to sales. Like back in the 1910s, you had to go face to face, door to door, business to business. Yep. You had to look people in the eyes. The phone, email, LinkedIn, all of these tools gave us the capability to not and gave us the capability to prioritize scale mm. and quantity over quality. And as a result, I I think that that was the beginning of the erosion of the sales profession. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective, right? Because you're absolutely right. When you think about some of the, what I call, you know, the the, the real founders of professional development or personal development, the Dale Carnegie's, the Old Mandino's, the Earl Nightingale's, you know, they did the way... The way in which they describe the profession of selling and the way in which they describe that mindset that you need to take to it. Like when you look back, I mean, how to win friends and influence people, what is it, 100 years, almost 100 years old? Um, 
you go, you go well, that's people go, well, that's, oh, well, this is irrelevant. It's absolutely relevant today more than ever before because they did see themselves as that profession, they, that professional. They did see themselves as somebody that was making a positive impact in people's lives. And I can absolutely agree with you. I see, you know, today, and I get it. I'm getting it on LinkedIn. I'm getting it on emails. I'm getting those automated sequences. They're just jamming my box, my inbox. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what, for me, that's not selling, right? And I can see why that trust gap is getting wider and wider, right? And I can yeah. also, because I've got the opinion, Todd, and love to hear your opinion on this, that I'm okay for a prospect, for them to know that I'm looking to reach out to connect with them. I'm a-okay with it. I'm okay to leave a voicemail. I want them to know that I'm keen to chat, but I'm prepared to do what others aren't prepared to do to get their attention, which is do some research, which is bring a relevant point of view to the table. And then when I do get the meeting with them, I want to be transparent to say, hey, this is all the research that I've done this is the information that I found about where you're going as an organization. And I believe, so it allows me to kind of be on the same side with them, right? Versus trying to manipulate them to get to a point of, of decision. Right. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a couple of things. So let's start with transparency and how I define it. And it, it started, I was the CRO of a tech company here in Chicago called Power Reviews. Guess that we were in the review space, right? We were helping retailers and brands collect and display ratings and reviews on their websites, which you've probably interacted with, right? You're yeah. buying a pair of Crocs, you scroll down, there's reviews. We did a, a study with Northwestern University yep. here in Chicago that just looked at, all right, when a website's acting as a salesperson, what do people do? Mm. And the data that came back changed my life, like could only happen to a behavioral science nerd like me. That there was two data points that changed my life out of the three core ones. That the first one that didn't was that we all read reviews today, right? It's it, it, the latest update to the research was 99% of us will read a review when a website's acting as a salesperson yeah. before buying something of substance that we haven't bought before. So cool, everybody probably agrees with that. But the two that blew my mind, number one, was that 85% of us skip the five-star reviews and read the negatives first. Ooh. Right? Okay. So we, we as human beings, we, we're drawn to the negative first, the fours, the threes, the twos, the ones. And that last data point, which is the thing that really triggered me, was a product that has an average review score on a five-star scale out of, again, when a website's acting as a salesperson, I'll take you to the B2B side here in a minute. Yeah. The average review score of 4.2 to 4.5 is optimal for purchase conversion, meaning a product that has... A 4-2 as an average will sell at a higher conversion rate than a product that has nothing but five-star reviews. Mm. And so I'm looking at that going, all right, I'm teaching my whole organization here to basically hide the flaws and sell as though we're perfect, but we're are, maybe we're doing a disservice. I got to go dig into the behavioral science and figure out, yeah. is this just how we're wired? And if that happens when a website's acting as a salesperson, what happens when a human being is? And found really quickly that the exact same thing happens. That we as human beings, we know subconsciously that perfection doesn't exist. And when we lead with the negative, and negative doesn't mean, hey, this is why we suck. Negative means, hey, here's something that, knowing what I know about you and what you're prioritizing, here's something that might not be a perfect fit or something a competitor might do better or something that you might find when you do your own research 
that we had a bad experience before. Mm. When we do that, we disarm the buying brain. Yep. We help them predict my opinion on all of this, and it's been backed up by all the, you know, not only the data and the behavioral science, but in actual practice, is we don't buy when we're convinced. Maybe we do and we're not happy about it, but we are more likely to buy when we can predict. Is the juice going to be worth the squeeze? Is my time, my resources, my money worth it to focus on this versus the other areas that I can spend my time, my resources, my money? And when we do that, when we're triggered and we go, yeah, that juice is worth the squeeze, I'm going to prioritize this, that's when purchases happen. In my opinion, and we'll go back to history for a second, and what you just said about doing the research, there, there's a quote, buyers know more nowadays, yeah. right? Like they, they know there's more information out there. Yep. That, that quote from 1911, <laughs> right? It, like, it, it's, it's from today on LinkedIn, but it's from 1911 as well. And guess what? They were worried about it then, but the profession flourished. Yeah. In, in 2015, so just seven years ago, Forrester, same exact, like almost the word for word, the mm. quote, and they were predicting that over a million B2B sales jobs would go yeah. away by 2020. The opposite happened. Why? Well, I believe that more information for buyers mm. doesn't mean better. Yep. More information has made it harder on buyers and I believe that the future of sales is transparent, meaning we, instead of it being sales and convincing, it's setting expectations yeah. and doing the homework for the buyer. And sales becomes a service profession where we're actually setting expectations for the customer, whether it's for us or for somebody else, and doing it as quickly as possible. Because again, more information doesn't mean better. Being a buyer has never been harder given the fact that they're now remote makes it even harder. If salespeople are bringing the pros and the cons and doing the homework for the buyer, I think we have an opportunity to restore our profession, yep. but also speed wins and speed losses. But I, and I love this, right? And I'm, man, I'm, in my head, I'm going, I'm not, I was taking notes down of these stats, right? Because I'm like, yes, I'm going to, I'm like, man, Todd, we're probably going to have to do about four episodes here. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I think I'm, I'm, I'm with you, right? I do believe our profession's kind of reimagining itself. However, I do believe that in the next five years, two to five years, we will see a whole bunch of salespeople made redundant. The ones that choose not to bring that professional mindset to the table. I still struggle with the fact that I speak to, you know, some and they I said, so what's your agenda for the meeting? They're like, agenda? Like, yeah, like what's your – what's the purpose of the meeting? What are you going to cover? Like what insight are you going to share? What questions have you got prepared? And like they're, they're, they're really looking at me like I'm kind of, you know, I have no idea. And I've, I've had a few, you know, interesting dialogues, robust conversations with some, with some gurus on LinkedIn about this exact concept topic, right? I'm like, well, you know, the, 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 and, and my first kind of engagement with, with agendas was Wilson Learning. You know, the, the, the consultancy selling book that I read, you know, when I was in my early 20s, it was like purpose, process, payoff. I'm like, it's beautiful, yeah? It's, it's a, such a simplistic format. But I still, I see this today. I see that. And the other thing I'm seeing, which, which it worries me about our profession, where salespeople will, might be made redundant, is that two weeks of boot camp and then you throw them on the phones as an SDR, for me, it's like saying, well... <sighs> we're actually insulting our profession 
because it takes a lot longer than two weeks to learn about our personas, uh, you know, learn about the outcomes they're seeking to achieve, learn about what's actually happening in their business, that empathy. How can we show empathy, which is a foundation of trust, if we actually don't have an understanding of what's going on in their world, right? And that's where, my, that's where, my, where I'm struggling with that concept and I'm seeing a whole lot of sellers not build the foundational skills that they need in order to be successful, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I look at it through the lens of, and I totally agree with you. I, I think that, you know, if, if you're going to medical school to become a doctor, right, you're gonna spend a bunch of time going through <laughs> books and learning about like, you know, the neck bones connected to the, what, you know, all that stuff. But you're also going to learn about really the science of what's called clinical empathy. Mm. and it, you know, empathy is an overused word, oftentimes gets confused with sympathy. Yeah. Right? Like, I hope you're doing okay in these trying times. That's sympathy, not empathy, right? <laughs> but clinical empathy is to truly be able to see the world through the eyes of the people that you're communicating with and, you know, experience their highs and lows with them. And that's what great doctors do. I'm not saying that salespeople need to go spend two years learning clinical empathy, but there's some simple things. Yep that you can do. I, I'll give you one quick tip for goodness sakes. It's like so easy. W when I was uh, with one of the companies that I was with was a company called Exact Target. Yeah. Uh, we were in the digital marketing space and we were selling to marketing executives, CMOs, chief digital officers, the people that were responsible for email marketing. Guess what? In our company, we had employees by the same title, right? We had a CMO, we had a chief digital officer. We had somebody executing our own email marketing campaign. So what did we do? During sales meetings, we'd bring them in and go, hey, bring your laptop too, because we want to see your inbox. Yep. Show us your inbox and show us what stands out. What are you focused on right now? What are you measured by? What events are you going to? What are you reading? Right? And every couple of weeks, we'd bring one of those people in and just get their perspective. And you can't help but start to go, I see the world through the marketer's yeah. eyes and I can't help but be more effective in being an asset to my customers instead of being a necessary evil. You're selling to finance? I bet you got a CFO, yeah. you got some accountants. You're selling to sales? Go grab your VP of sales and go, let's see your inbox, right? Every role that you're selling to, you could probably find in your organization. And if you can't, go find some people outside, even your current customers and go, hey, could you help us out? Like yeah. we want to be better assets to our customers. Can you come in and show us your laptop, right? Yeah. Like these people exist everywhere. They're right there. Why, why can't we just go bring them in yeah. and, and teach like that two week boot camp? Yeah. I, I, cl the clinical levels of empathy are right at your fingertips mm -hmm. and nobody's using it. Or there's a very small percentage that are. And I think it's a tremendous opportunity. It's a great point, Luigi. I mean, it, like we we've got to have clinical levels of empathy to be a trusted asset to our potential customers and not a necessary evil. And you, you know, like you talk about Exact Target for my listeners who might not know who they are because they're now part of Salesforce.com, probably the only sales conference that'll ever get a president present at their conference again. Right? You talk about <laughs> back in the early 1900s, but you know, Salesforce.com bought them and Exact Target. You, you're right, achieved amazing things. Why? Because they did really understand the world of their customer. Another organization that I'm absolutely in love with is HubSpot, right? Because they did the same when they first started. They said, in order for us to have that clinical empathy, we need to understand how, how does our customer build sites? How do they build lead, in, like lead magnets? They got their salespeople to go through the process of building 
those things to really understand yeah. the barriers that they're encountering and why HubSpot allowed them to achieve certain outcomes, right? And yeah. so and I, I get excited by this because yeah. I'm like, me, you know, I, I got thrown into a marketing role. I was, I was the executive director of sales and I got thrown into a head of marketing. I had no freaking clue what I was doing because of the organization that I was in at the time. This is quite a few years ago. It was the best thing that ever happened to me because it completely changed my viewpoint on selling and it got me thinking from a different perspective, right? And then, and I think, again, this is where I'm loving what you're talking about because that clinical empathy, that transparency, it's about going, hey, I really need to be thinking a little bit differently and we're going to lay it all on the table here and go, well, this is, this is where we're working, right? This is the place we're working on. How can we work on this together to achieve a mutually beneficial outcome? Exactly. How do we message what we give up to be great at our core? Right, because every company in the world gives up something to be great at their core, right? The most successful B2C companies in the world do that really, really well. And I think it's a huge opportunity for B2B, like yeah. IKEA, right? Like you're gonna go to IKEA, they're gonna give you a map when you walk in so you know you're in for it, right? Like that that's this is gonna suck. You you find what you're looking for. There's nobody to help you. You got to write down the code with your, or take a picture yeah. of it with your phone. You got to go to the warehouse, pull the hundred pound boxes onto a cart that doesn't have brakes, jam it into your car Tetris style in the parking lot and <laughs> F-bomb your way through that. Get it home, open the box, hundred parts, no words on the work instructions other yeah. than the word like Svarta or whatever. <laughs> and, and then when you're done, you're like, we, we should have bought the end tables with this bedroom set, right? Like, let's go back. They're the number one furniture retailer in the world for 14 straight years, and they do that by saying, we're going to give up, you're going to find it, you're going to pick it, yep. you're going to pack it, you're going to jam it, you're going to assemble it, but we're going to give you modern Scandinavian-designed furniture that you didn't pay much for, yep. right? There's great companies out there that do that all the time. I think it's a tremendous opportunity mm -hmm. for even the B2B world to go, hey, listen, it, like at Power Reviews, when I was the chief revenue officer there, we were trying to be the best yep. at Ratings and reviews technology for retailers and brands. You're a medical practice, you're a travel site. Sorry, like that's not us, go mm -hmm. over there. You need the plugins that go into it. There's another company that has the full suite. That's not yeah. us, right? We would lose as fast as we possibly could those opportunities. Yeah. And in so doing, we brought in customers pre-qualified. Yeah. We built trust with those guys. So like when they went to other companies, they're like, you're what we need. We'd be the first call and nobody else would be involved. We'd speed sales cycles, mm -hmm. right? Because when you're transparent, again, think about yourself when you buy something online. Why are you reading the negative reviews? All of you listening, you're, you're reading the negative reviews first, right? Why? Because you're trying to come up with a prediction. Yeah. As a salesperson, provide that prediction. Do the homework for them. What are they going to find when they look? And you're yeah. going to, the results are, it's as close to a magic bullet as I've ever found to the point where, like a lunatic, I quit my job and I wrote a book. But you, you, you're absolutely right because, and you look at IKEA, I think that's an incredible example. They kind of throw that whole customer journey out the window. They go, look, you know what? You go into Ikea, it is what it is. There's a line you've got to work through. If you have to get something right at the end, you've got to work through the whole place to get to the end, exactly. right? You're not, yeah. you, you can't go to the end. you just got to go through it. And I love it, you know, that whole Ikea effect, that study that they did, that people that actually do that, put this furniture together, place a higher value on the product versus receiving it already assembled. Mm -hmm. So they're absolutely, it's transparent. They don't hide behind it, right? They go, hey, right. that's it. And... I, I, the reason why I love this, right, because I think too many 
and we've seen this over the years of, of, of individuals, companies trying to manipulate, hide, you know, hold back. Yes. You're kind of going, well, that's not creating, you know, that's, that's creating tension versus reducing tension. And, you know, we look at the likes of Tesla and why this, mate, they completely re- de- deleted, eliminated the tension involved in buying a car. And my daughter, who's 19, she's turning 20 this year, buying a car. Her boyfriend bought a car and it unfortunately it didn't come with a warranty, right? And it's had a bit of a problem and it's costing money. And when I was talking to her about this last week, and mind you, she's 19, right? So you would think that she's not conditioned in this way like we are. I said, well, I was talking to her about, you know, when you buy your car, you've got to be careful. And she said, but that's their job, isn't it? To get the best deal for them and to make the most money out of the, out of the sale. I'm like, why are you looking at things in that nature, right? So, yeah. And I'm like, that's their view. Like if she's 19 and she's thinking in that manner, like she's already conditioned to that, you know, what selling is about getting the best outcome for them, not us, when we know the opposite, right? So just interesting going, that's the next generation of buyers coming into the world and they've already got that, that condition that that's what a car salesperson does. Yeah, it, it's it's depressing to hear that, but it's true. But I'll tell you one funny story. As it turns out, like the behavioral science of all of this is really interesting in that transparency, turns out it actually begets transparency. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to this and you're like, hey, I understand that. Like when I buy something online, I go to the negatives. If, if I hear from a salesperson something I might not like or something from an empathetic perspective that they're like, hey, if I'm sitting in your shoes, this is what I might be concerned about. And they air that first. Like there's a real connection there. That's fantastic. Well, here's the other thing that's interesting. The other kind of side benefit. Transparency begets transparency. Mm. And just a quick story on this. When I bought my last car, which is about, I guess, a year and a half ago, there was a bunch of cars that I was interested in. uh, So I wasn't wed to the one, but like the one that they had on their lot, I was buying kind of like a semi-used one. Yeah, it, it really fit all my criteria. But I was like, you know what? Being a transparency nerd, I'm bringing my notebook. I'm going to try this. <laughs> so there's three things they tell you not to do when you go buy a car. Number one, don't tell them how you intend to pay. Yeah, like whether or not you're going to write a check, you're going to finance it, or you're going to lease it. Like you wait until the end. Like negotiate the deal and then spring that on. Number two, if you've got a trade in, don't tell them. And then number three, of course, is if there's something wrong with the trade-in, don't tell them that either, right? (laughs) Well, I decided I'm going to go throw my cards face up, and within the first two minutes, I'm going to lay all of that on this person and see what happens. Yeah, I did. I was like, hey, this is uh, the car I want. I've got my checkbook here. Like, I've already worked out the financing. Number two is I've got a trade-in. It's that Jeep Grand Cherokee in the parking lot. It's a 2009. And oh, by the way, see the smoke swirling about in your parking lot? (laughs) That's my car that, like, like, my car was literally, the check engine light was flashing, right? So I do that. This guy's laughing, and he's like, all right, cool. Within about 15 minutes, this rep, the sales rep, car sales rep, shared with me his ADHD, you know, his attention deficit disorder, his issues with his dad, his concerns about his career. Like, all all of a sudden, this guy was just like, blah. Yeah. And then at one point, I was like, hey, I've always been curious how car salespeople get paid. And he pulls out his comp plan. And so I'm sitting there <laughs> with it. And so it, it's amazing to me that, that the power of transparency is 
yeah, sure, it feels good to be honest, right? Mm. And like these old sales books that I've got from the early 1900s, we've always known that yeah. honesty sells. But as it turns out, we now have to do it because of the proliferation of reviews and yeah. feedback and everything we do buy and experience. But yeah. it sells better. And if you want to get better relationships and, and get that transparency back from your buyer, it's a subconscious thing that yeah. when you're transparent and you do it from the heart, you'll find that transparency begets transparency and you're going to get to outcomes much yeah. faster. But I think, yeah, I love this, right? But I, And I, go, I look at this and I'm thinking, but you've got to actually have, you just said it, it's got to come from the heart. You've actually got to care about the people that you're, you're dealing with, right? And if you care, if you put the work in, you prepare, you show them that you've prepared the, and you're bringing the, your best self and you're positive, right, you will align and you'll find people that connect to that. And this is where I tell sellers, like, we cannot have a mindset of scarcity because if we have that mindset that, you know, it, we're, and we've got to be desperate and everyone's my customer, the reality is that's not the case. You don't want everybody to be your customer. There are some customers that don't have the same values as you and they don't align right? It's A-okay. And I've learned this the hard way. <laughs> I've made a lot of fuck ups in my career, right? And I've learned this the hard way. And I've, I've, and I've come to that realization that, you know what, it's A-okay. Look, the whole TAM's not my customer. There are people out there that love the fact that I'm passionate about what I do. I care about what I do. And I put in everything that I do, like everything that I can into my clients and the people that I work with. Some people love that. Some people don't. That's okay. It's not a bad thing if you don't and you buy from my competitor. That's absolutely okay. But there's enough people in the world that will engage in this style of, in this format, right? And, and, and this is where I think there's a great opportunity that the tactics of selling, and there are so many tactics out there and I think they're great, but I think the best tactic and the best strategy is being oneself, educating oneself, is saying, right, if I've got to bring a transparent sort of process to the table, I still need to educate myself, right? I've still got to think about, even though I care and I'm passionate and all that, if I haven't got a point of view or if I haven't got any insight to share or if I haven't got any value to create, why would the CRO, the CEO, the CFO, whoever, give time to spend with me in the first place, right? right? Yeah. So I've got to do that work, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the scarcity thing that you mentioned, Part of the issue is systemic from leaders. Yep. And so, like, if you're a rep and you're hearing this and you're like, yeah, sure, but my leader's all on my ass <laughs> about my pipeline, you know, it, that's the issue. And that's, like, you know, we were kind of joking about, like, where you've screwed up in your career. As a leader, I, there's one thing I used to do wrong. Uh, there's many things I did wrong, but here's one example. One of them was the, uh, the pipeline load conversation. Mm. Here, it sounds like this. For my reps... At any time, you need to have 4x your quota yeah. in pipeline, right? Because we're going to close 25%. If you don't have enough pipeline load, you're not going to hit it. So what do or what does rep do? Well, I know when I used to hear that as a rep, I'd fill my pipeline with 4x filled with crap, right? <laughs> and like, and and so like I think we all need to look at data because I think so many of us use data the wrong way. Yeah. And look back at it and go, hey, does it really have to be 4x? Or is there a systemic issue with the way that we're qualifying opportunities mm. that God, wouldn't it be great to close a higher percentage of deals and only need 2x? Yeah. Of course it would. Well, I think 
transparency and leading with that and qualify in and out faster gives you that opportunity to spend more time on the opportunities you should win or spend more time searching for opportunities that are more of a direct hit for what you do well and lose the deals that you're probably gonna lose anyway and just do it faster, yeah. right? And, and to your point about competitors, even like when COVID first hit, you know, I now, you know, I went from being a CRO with like a steady paycheck to running a, a sales training <laughs> workshop and, and speaking business, COVID hits and all of a sudden my pipeline goes to zero. <laughs> I had a company reach out to me and they're like, hey, Todd, you know what, we really could use some prospecting, like a prospecting workshop, prospecting training, like, you know, framework, all of that stuff. I'm like, all right, cool. Tell me more about it. Guess what? Perfect. I've got three different companies that I'd like you to talk to because that's not something I do. Yeah. Right. And like that's the scarcity mindset might have been like, oh, money that means nothing. Right. But instead, I'm like, hey, that's not my like, I could do it, but I'm not the best at it. There's other people that I think are freaking awesome at it. Yeah. And in every case that I did that, the person would then go, really? What is it you do? Like, what is your area of focus? And I would go through it yeah. and I probably closed two out of the three of those deals by you know, getting them to realize that there's some other stuff that you need too, right? Yeah. So you, you can't be afraid to be honest because it sells better, but mm. more often than not, that relationship that gets built, you immediately become, instead of a vendor, you become a partner and a consultant yeah. and an advisor to them. And it's, it sounds so cheesy, but I'm telling you, man, it's like, Mate, it's I, right there. I, I, I know it's aligned with that. I'll tell you why, because I think, you know, that's a there, there is that opportunistic element, and I think for 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 a lot of us, I mean, I know earlier in my career, I went through. I remember when I started my own practice, you know, geez, eight eight years ago, I did take everything on the table, right? I needed it. I was I wasn't. I needed the cash, you know, like to be honest. And right. then I realised, you know what, I probably shouldn't have taken that project. And I'm like you now. When I get to proposal stage, I'm. I've, it's 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 gone through a very specific process. I'm very clear. I know that we've got alignment. There's consensus, strong business case for change. I know that I'm going to secure about 80% of those proposals are going to close, right? Mm -hmm. yep. So, you know, because I've done the work to get there and I won't move to proposal unless we're actually at a point of proposal. And I had a, an opportunity that I just passed on in the last three weeks, really large opportunity, Todd. And they had a new CRO. They're going through a major transformation, a huge organization here in Australia. And they're talking to two very credible orgs, a couple of global ones. You'd actually know them. And she says, yes, they're going to come back with a proposal. She said, this is what we want. And I said to her, I asked her some questions. I said, look, uh, my concern is you don't have alignment within your team around what the problem is that you're trying to solve. And she looked at me and she's like, yeah, we we have got a, we don't, we're not all seeing things in the same perspective. I said, and I said, look, if I, my, my, my concern, if I put a proposal, I'm actually proposing something that's not really relevant. It's not going to help you. I said, here's some stuff that I think is going to help you. I gave her some IP. I said, here's a, here's a, a sales process that I've created. Here's some other things. I'm happy to support you and give you some information, but I'm not going to be able to put a proposal together. Great. The other two, they did. I got an email last week. We're having to go back to the drawing board. <laughs> mm -hmm. can yeah. we meet so absolutely exactly right um, yeah. and i think that's me being transparent that's me saying look i'd love this opportunity but there's just you're you're not ready it'd be remiss of me to try to just take and what if you accept my proposal it's not going to address the problem we haven't got alignment on problem 
We don't, we're not clear on the outcomes we're seeking to achieve. So therefore, I'm going to take some money. It's not going to be a win for us because we're not going to be able to achieve what we want to achieve. You won't achieve. And we're probably going to end up at a point of tension and you're saying we're not good enough. And, you know, I've been down that yeah. path before, right? So I want to avoid that for you and us, yeah? Well, the, the most important thing that you, me, everybody listening to this has in their inventory that they can turn to revenue is their time. Yeah. Every minute that you're spending on an opportunity that's not optimal and you're hoping that I'll be able to convince them or I'll put something together, right? But you could be spending that time on yeah. opportunities you should win or finding other opportunities that are better direct hit. And that just happened, that story you just told literally last week, my biggest customer came to me and, and wanted something. They were very clear in the outcome that they wanted. They were very clear in the structure that they wanted. And I could do it, but I know I'm not the best at doing yeah. it. And so I, I got on the phone with their SVP of sales, and I was like, look, I, I've got somebody I want to introduce you to. You're going to love her, but like this is what she does, and every time she does it, she freaking kills it. And I love you. Like I love this company. I love what you do. The outcome, like what I care about is the outcome, not the paycheck from this. Yeah. I, and, and she was like, uh huh. All right. So they talked, and it turns out this this other outfit is more expensive than I am too. Yeah. The, the SVP of sales comes back to me and is like, "Oh, she's kind of high for our budget." And I was like, "For your outcome, <laughs> go find more budget." I'm telling you, like to do this right, mm -hmm. you you need to invest more. Guess what? She just got the deal, right? Like I literally advocated for somebody else that does something else for my biggest customer where there's a big paycheck out there, but I know that is going to pay me in spades yeah. on the out, like the outside of that. But even more important, I, I truly do care about the yeah. outcome of my best customer, right? And I know that I was not going to be the best option yeah. for them. But that, you know, you're right, but that's values, that's mindset, that's transparency. There's a whole range of things. So. I think for me, listening to this episode or listening, you know, being part of this episode today, Todd, like I'm going, it's just, a, it's cementing for me why it's so important for sales professionals, for us, that's going to be the competitive differentiation in the market is our ability to go with that value of being transparent, being honest and being very clear in our own value system because that's going to enable our clients to achieve the best things that they can. So, mate, I, I, like I said, I think we've got about three or four episodes here, but I could talk all day. But just before we wrap up, where could our, you know, where is the best place for our listeners to find you? I know you've got a podcast. We'll make sure we put that into the show notes, but where's the best place for them to engage with you? Yeah, I mean, the easiest place is just toddcaponi.com. I'm yep. hard not to find, but that's got links to lots of free information, the podcast, my blog, how to get a hold of me, my programs, my keynotes, all of that stuff. So that's a great place to start. Find me on LinkedIn too. I share a lot of my nonsense yep. there. And that podcast that you mentioned is just clearly, it's purely a hobby. It's called the Sales History Podcast, but I just do 10 to 20 minute monologues on a different topic about the history of the sales and revenue profession. And then I try to tie it to making it really relevant to yep. today. And uh, it's just a nerdery for me, but man, people are loving it. I'm <laughs> so excited that they are. Like that's just been a blast for me. Awesome. Well, we'll put that into the show notes. And when your upcoming book, I know we, you got a book um, coming later this year, I believe. Yeah, it should be July of 2022 called The Transparent Sales Leader. So it's you know, providing a, a structure and a framework for yep. sales leaders, which growing up in sales leadership, I was always like a dog chasing a car down the street. Like I needed a foundation. I built one. I share that. 
plus all of the behavioral science of what truly drives salespeople. They, it's a framework called the praise model for uh, driving intrinsic inspiration into your team. So even if you're an individual contributor, you might really enjoy it if you want to grow into sales yeah. leadership at some point, but just to even know what inspires yourself. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure that when that comes out, we'll promote the hell out of it. So Todd, I just want to say thanks for the content that you share, mate. I, I've been getting a lot out of it. I love your concepts. I love your Instagram page. Thanks for helping me be the best sales professional I can be and for helping elevate our sales profession. This has been so much fun. Thanks for having me on. 